Hey everybody, this is Brian with Mid-City Vineyard Church, our weekly teaching conversation. If you want to learn a little bit more about Mid-City Vineyard, you can check us out online, midcityvineyard.org. You can check us out on Facebook, Mid-City Vineyard Church, and on Instagram at Mid-City Vineyard. We worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Sacred Heart Apartments, and we'd love to have you anytime you're looking for a place uh, to connect with others and worship together. We are currently in the middle of a series entitled, I've Always Wondered, where we ask people in our church to ask questions that they might have had for forever and a day about the faith. It could be anything, and we ended up uh, getting a ton of questions, and they've been some really great ones that we've been working through over the last number of weeks. And so this particular week for our text, uh, or for our subject, we were looking at if God is so good, then why does God allow suffering? And so... Uh, I can tell you on the front end that I'm not really sure that the answer was adequate, but we gave it our best shot uh, as best we can as those who wrestle with questions and wrestle with faith and continue to seek after uh, the divine. So we're going to head on over to the conversation. Thanks for joining us. Much peace to you. So the uh, last number of weeks we've been in a series entitled, I've Always Wondered. And what we did for this particular series is we ask, uh, I ask you guys to send in questions of questions of the faith that you've always wondered about. And so the first week, uh, this was two weeks ago, we talked about how a person could and or should read and interpret the scriptures. Because there are lots of different ways to read and interpret scriptures. And so we went through a couple of ideas there. And if you're interested in that, you can uh, jump on the podcast and listen to that. Last week was, what was last week? Uh, none of you remember. Prayer. If God knows everything, then uh, how does prayer work? And in that particular conversation, we actually talked, uh, we, we jumped down some of those avenues of does God actually know everything? Because there are different Christian thoughts and uh, uh, beliefs on that. And so we talked about those different avenues, and then we discussed how prayer might work within each one of those. And this week, the question that, the exact question that was written was, was this here. As a hospice nurse, how do I answer or respond to a parent when they ask, why is God letting my child die? So that's an easy question we're going to just address very quickly. Uh, wow. Now, if we want to unpack that question a little bit more and where we're going to head with this, and, and this is how, uh, because it applies to more than hospice nurses and children dying. If God is good, then why does God allow suffering? Why does God allow people to suffer? Uh, why does God allow bad things to befall people, good people, bad people? What about children uh, and suffering? And how could a loving God allow anyone, particularly children, to suffer? Uh, these questions, I think it's really important that I, I remind you. I'm not trying to just give you a, an easy answer to a difficult question. Because the truth is, I don't think there are easy answers to difficult questions. And any time someone tries to give you an easy answer to a really difficult question, my encouragement would be uh, dig into it yourself and don't just take their word for it, because I don't think there are easier answers. Matter of fact, I would go so far as to say that by the end of this teaching today, you'll still walk out scratching your head a bit on this particular answer. 
uh, which either means I'm a terrible preacher pastor or it's just a really hard question and there are no easy answers. I'm going to go with the latter on that. Um, so why don't, we, why don't we pray again together and then we'll look at uh, some of the scriptures here. Lord, we do welcome your presence and we do acknowledge that we live in a really strange and difficult world that is also at the same time full of beauty and full of grace. It's a bit of a paradox. And so even today as we look at some of the scriptures, as we look at some of our own personal experiences, as we, as we t- kind of toss this and these questions around, we ask that your presence would resonate within our own souls, that you would meet us where we are, and that especially in the room today, for any who are actually going through real suffering right now, for any who are experiencing great heartache and great difficulty, Lord, that more than an answer to the, to the mind, that you would bring presence to the heart and that you would meet us in that place. Bring peace and comfort, wisdom and favor. And we ask all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So here's the thing, right? We live... And no one would argue this. We live in a world where suffering is completely inescapable. It's just, there's no way around it. No matter what you've tried, no matter what you believe, there's no way around the fact that suffering is going to come into your life and your world at some point. And when suffering comes into our world and it comes into our life, it challenges everything at the core of our foundation because it leads to this question, people of of faith and people... Who, who don't have faith in a, in a particular higher power, when suffering comes along, the question is, why? Why, why, why? And then, whether you are a person of faith or not, the question is, if there is a God, and if this God is good, why? It shakes the very foundations that we stand on. And ultimately, suffering, heartache, hard times, has the ability to erode our soul and our spirit from within if if we give way to that. The thing about suffering that I've experienced is that it doesn't care what age you are. It doesn't care what gender you are. It doesn't care what ethnicity you are. Suffering doesn't care what religion you are. Suffering doesn't care if you have a religion. Suffering just doesn't care. Suffering just happens. It comes. It finds its way in. So it could be anything. The loss of a loved one. So you've experienced suffering that way. It could be the betrayal of a friend or the betrayal of a spouse. It could be debilitating depression in your life that you just don't understand. You don't understand why and you don't understand where it comes from. It could be the loss of possessions. Maybe it could be the loss of a home through a flooding or through fire. It could be the loss of relationships. Suffering comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes. It's inescapable, and when it happens, we try to answer it. In my experience, over all of the years, I've been pastoring now for 20 years, and one of the things that that I do very often are funerals. Funerals seem to just keep happening. They just happen. And one of the greatest questions at funerals, see, whenever I do a funeral for someone who is like 85 or older, no one's asking the question, why did this happen? No one's ever asking that question. The problem is I don't do very many funerals for people who are 85 or older. The problem is that I've done many, many, many funerals for teenagers, for young people in their 20s, 
for, for, for young people in their 40s, even for young people in their 60s. And the question is always, it was too early. It was too early, and why? Whether it was cancer, or if it was suicide, or if it was overdose, the question is always in these situations, why? Why, why, why? And that, I find at funerals, is what people want the pastor to talk about. Why? And I have found that you can't actually answer that question, not without it coming across as kind of shallow, a little bit crass sometimes. But for centuries, people have been wrestling with it, okay? I think we understand that point. Now, here's, here's the thing. In Christian theology, there is a word called theodicy. And theodicy is a Greek term where it takes, well, it's an it's a English term that takes two Greek terms. The first term is theos, which stands for God. And the other term is uh, dikio, which means justify. Theodicy means it's a way of justifying God in the face of suffering. Think about that. Like we have had to come up with a way to defend this divine being because of suffering. And people for centuries have been trying to justify this, this divine being or defend God in the face of suffering and evil. In uh, 2002, there was this uh, movie that came out called Rabbit Hole. Did anybody see Rabbit Hole? Yeah, it wasn't really popular. Um, but I saw Rabbit Hole for some bizarre reason. I don't know. I was at Redbox or something looking for a movie. And I, I rented Rabbit Hole. In this movie, uh, Nicole Kidman and Aaron Eckhart play the two main characters. I think it's Howie and Becca. And their young son, he's about three years old, he's playing ball out in the front yard. Spoiler alert, but it's nine years old. So uh, he's playing ball out in the front yard, and his ball goes out into the street. And this little three-year-old boy chases the ball only to be run over as a car is coming down the street. And the entire movie is about their experience, the parents' experience, of working through the pain and the heartache of losing their child. And what you find in the movie is they both take different pathways. She befriends the young teenager who is driving the car. She becomes friends with him. She, she begins to, to try to experience life from his angle. And, and her husband goes a completely different route. The subtitle, uh, Rabbit Hole, The Only Way Out is Through. They have to go through it in order to come out on the other side. But there's this interesting scene where they go to a grief group. Okay, They're in the middle of a grief group with other parents who have lost children, small children. And I want to show you, and it's going to take us, our, 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 our amazing AV team has worked this out. We're going to actually try to show you a clip. <laughs> it might take 10 minutes for us to get it up there, but we're going, to, we're going to try. So I want to show you this one clip from this grief group. Go ahead, Jonah. She, uh, she visits me sometimes in dreams, and uh, she tells me it's okay. And she's with God. God had to take her. He needed another angel. He needed another angel. Why didn't you just make one? Another angel. I mean, he's God after all. Why didn't you just make another angel? Hmm? Why didn't he? <laughs> Why didn't he just make another angel? I love that. Because if, if this God is the God that everyone thinks this God is, then God could do that. 
There are other phrases that we use. We may not understand it, but it's all part of God's plan. Or it was meant to be. Or, well, at least they're in a better place now. All well-meaning. And I believe when used, I believe that the people saying these things are being sincere. But it's very rarely, if ever, helpful. And you know this if you've ever been on the other side of those phrases. Now, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, Scripture, when we look at Scripture, Scripture is not prescriptive, it is descriptive. That's kind of the the conclusion that we landed on. It's not prescribing how things work with God so much as it's describing how people throughout the centuries have wrestled with God. And what we see is that suffering is nothing new. And we see how people through the scriptures wrestled with God. I mean, it starts all the way in the beginning, Adam and Eve. They have to wrestle through suffering. Their, their, their oldest son kills their second son. I mean, so suffering and wrestling with suffering has happened from the beginning. The people of Israel suffer. King David suffers. I mean, his own kid, Absalom, tries to chase him down and kill him. Job suffers. You might be most familiar with that story. I mean, Job loses everything. And, and, and at the end, there is no reason. When you read through the whole book, you get to the end and you're like, there was no reason. Nothing. Jeremiah suffers. Isaiah suffers. These are the prophets. I don't know if you know this, but like Isaiah was literally like put in a log and sawed in half. I mean, that seems, that's a bit, seems like suffering. St. Paul suffers. John the Baptist suffers. Peter suffers. And you know who else suffers? It's very important to realize this because we're going to go somewhere with this, but Jesus Christ himself suffers. Like, and we're not just talking like, physical or emotional, like Jesus suffers in every way that you could suffer emotionally, physically, mentally. Now there are different types of suffering. The first would be moral suffering, which is kind of, it's human actions and the results of human actions. The second would be natural suffering. That would be earth, like the, 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 the um, product of, of living uh, in creation, earth, tornadoes, tsunamis, hurricanes, uh, also diseases and things like that. So there's two different kinds of, of suffering that we experience. And there are also, going back to theodicies, here, here's, the, here's the deal. Christians have been trying to explain it, and here's how they've done it. They've come up with theodicies, and there are two that I'm going to go over with you, and neither one is going to satisfy you. And then we're going to look at how might we find any satisfaction. The first one was St. Augustine. It's called the Augustinian view of theodicy. And it's this idea where St. Augustine traces it all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. Now, if you're familiar with the story, here's, here's how it goes. God creates everything, and when God creates, everything is good and true and beautiful. God creates human beings to be God's co-regents, co-rulers with God, and everything is good and it's in its place. God is God over the creation People rule over the creation for God. And there's this beautiful harmony between God, creation, and humanity. Boom, 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 boom. And it gets thwarted because what happens is humanity makes a particular choice to kind of move out from under God's way of doing things. And then in Genesis chapter 3, there's this very interesting thing that happens. It says that after humanity had kind of moved out from under God's way of doing things, that God comes to those human beings and he says, here's the thing. When you did this, something happened. It's kind of like this uh, uh, cosmic 
distortion of sorts. Now, some people say, oh, the human beings did something wrong, so God comes in and punishes them. But if you read the text, if you look through the, 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 the myth as it's, as it's written, you begin to understand, oh, wait a minute. What God does is when God comes in, God says, now that you have moved in this direction, here's the reality of the direction that you have moved. In this reality, when you live out from under God's way, in this reality, there's pain in childbirth. In this reality, uh, 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 people are there's animosity between people in this reality. The earth has come under this this it's it's under this type of curse where things happen. The earth is work is hard. People don't want to work. They have to work. It's this whole there's this whole friction, and it's not so much a punishment as a reality. In this reality over here that God created you for. Work was easy, it was fun, it was fruitful, relationships worked, there was uh, harmony. The har you walked away from this reality, you walked into this reality, and now things are really difficult. Are you tracking with me there? That's, that's kind of, and so this is the Augustinian approach. And in the Augustinian uh, idea of theodicy, it's this, it's this model that natural evil is, is simply a result of the disturbance of the way things were supposed to be. And so this natural evil just finds its way into the fabric. There's a disturbance in the Earth's ecology, and that's where uh, even the Earth itself experiences a bit of a curse. This is the Augustinian theodicy, the idea that humanity brought in, walked out of God's way of doing things, and brought in the ability for evil to exercise itself. Okay. I could buy into that at some level. I mean, it doesn't make me feel any better if something devastating happens to one of my children, but it's, it's, it's an explanation. The second one was Arrhenius, uh, who was an early church father in the 4th century. And the Iranian view is more of an evolutionary view of understanding of how evil operates in the world. It's this evolutionary ex uh, perspective that says basically um, Adam and Eve, those, those initial human beings, wh whomever they were, it, they, there was a lapse in judgment, there was a weakness, there was an immaturity, the, the fall, as it's called in Arrhenius's understanding, is it, it wasn't so much a catastrophe for the human race as it was something in which it was opportunity built into the fabric of creation for human beings to learn, to, exp to, to go through life and to learn. In this account, the world is seen initially as a mixture of evil and good. It's an environment for growth and development in which humans can mature and grow towards perfection as they were created by God. And so it's this idea that nothing made it happen. It's simply, <laughs> it is what it is. It's part of life. There is good and there is bad. And God is somehow or some way in it all. So Arrhenius doesn't blame it so much on a particular event, like St. Augustine does. He just says, hey, it's, it's part of the process. This is just how life works. To which I would say, okay, but Arrhenius, you didn't answer the question, if God is good, why is there, you haven't answered the question. And that's because I still believe that the question itself is probably impossible, unfortunately, to answer outside of when we stand face to face with the divine. And the divine is somehow able to unpack it in a way that makes sense at that point in time. So here's what I would say. I, there might be a possible combination of, of, of a third way. And this is, this is what I would say, that God is not aloof. 
And yet at the same time, God allows free choices. See, we talked last week about if God knows everything, then how does prayer work? Well, part of that is if God knows everything, because we talked a lot about free choice. If free choice is part of the equation, which I personally believe it is, some in the room might not. So you, gotta, you have to wrestle with that. But if free choice is part of the equation, then people are actually free to make choices. And the choices that people make have good consequences and they have bad consequences. And it seems that God, in the, in the midst of all of it, doesn't just interject here and there because God doesn't seem to want to make robots out of us, but God allows human life to unfold. And in the process, there are promises that God has given us. So how about this? In the absence of an answer that brings comfort, what do we do? Because we're still here. There's still really bad crap that's going on. We still have this thing within us that looks to this higher power, looks to this divine that says, I, I want to believe you're good. I actually do believe you're good. Some days I think you're good. Other days I think you're awful. All these are fair things to say to God, by the way. Okay. It's wrestling. So what do we do in the midst of it? Here are a couple of thoughts for you. In John chapter 1. If you have Bibles and you want to open them, feel free. And if you want to just uh, write some of this down, go for it. John chapter 1, verse 14. I'm reading out of the Message Bible here. John chapter 1, verse 14 says that Christ became flesh and blood. And God moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes. It was a one-of-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from the start to finish. God became flesh, and God moved into the neighborhood. The biggest thing that I see for us as followers of Christ is that we would understand, that we would allow our minds to go there, that God took on the very of human beings like God said okay here's the thing you're in this and I've invited you this is where this to me is where uh, faith comes alive God says I created you to participate with me in life but not only that but I am the kind of God that wants to participate with you and so I myself will take on human flesh and blood I will walk in your shoes I will live in this environment. I will live in this space. I will live in this place. I will go through the kind of stuff that, that, that I created you and you've been subjected to this stuff and I don't want you to feel like you're going through this alone. Like I will subject myself to this kind of stuff. A God who chose to come and walk in the muck and the mire just like we do and didn't run away from it and didn't like snap his fingers and make it go away. I mean, at no point do we ever see Jesus like make his choices easier than the choices we have to go through. What we see over and over again is that Jesus, in the midst of suffering, shows us what it looks like to turn back to God. And we also see what it looks like for God, God's self, to beg God to take it away. When we see this in the garden, when Jesus is like, here's the thing, this sucks, would you take it away? This is awful, I don't want to go through this, Jesus is saying in the garden. 
It's going to hurt. It's painful emotionally. Judas has already stabbed me in the back. If I go through with this, I have this feeling that Peter is going to deny even knowing me, and he's been my closest friend for years. I don't really want to go through the emotional pain. I don't want to experience this. I don't want to experience Roman crucifixion. God, can you take this away? If I'm Jesus, I'm saying, if you're really good, take this away. And yet, that wasn't the experience. Jesus takes on human frailty. He takes it on and he subjects himself to it. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, you can see here something that it, before Jesus even gets to that place of the cross. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, this is what St. Paul writes in the scriptures. He says, think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but he didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, Jesus the Christ set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of being a human being. And having become a human being, stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process, I'd say. Having become human... He lived a selfless, obedient life. He died a selfless life, an obedient, or he died a selfless, obedient death. The worst kind of death that you could possibly die. He went through the greatest form of physical suffering that one could undergo. In God's goodness, God chooses once again to participate with us. Here's how one writer said it. If God is somehow in the suffering, participating as a subject, or as a suffering object, I'm sorry, in solidarity with the world, then maybe it's possible for us to make sense of God and this creation. At the very least, if God's going to participate with us in human suffering, some kind of direction or cosmic meaning, then maybe we can actually move towards forgiving God for leaving us in what seems like a desperate situation. And maybe we can even find a way to love and trust such a God. At least if we are participating in something together with God and human suffering has some kind of direction, some kind of cosmic meaning, then maybe we can forgive such a God for leaving us in what seems like a desperate situation and maybe we can even find love and trust for such a God. Have you ever considered that maybe for your own sake we need to move towards forgiving God? Now that's, you're not going to hear that in most churches. <laughs> I'm not necessarily saying that God has done anything wrong that needs to be forgiven. <clears throat> but I am saying that maybe in our own lives, it puts us in a position where <clears throat> sometimes, remember, forgiveness is more for us than it is for the person being forgiven. Maybe it leads us to a place of saying, God, I, I don't understand this. And in some ways, I feel like, I feel like you're kind of wrong in this. Because I, I, I don't know what else to do, but I surrender that to you. I'll forgive you for that. And in the midst of that, maybe it builds love and it builds trust. Are, am I, are we connecting here? And always remember that after anything I say, you're always allowed to question me and come and talk to me and let's unpack it more. 
I don't need people leaving saying, oh, that guy's crazy. He told me i got to forgive God. I'm saying if it works for you, then do it. <laughs> if you need to do that, then do it. Can I say something about that? Sure. Yes. God was a big, I guess, part of my journey. Um, and I guess when I was younger, I guess college age, that's when I started looking at everything a little more seriously. But I, I tend to be on the angrier side. So I, have, I had issues with God that I was angry. Yeah, and that works for you, right? Yeah. All right. So let, let's do let's do something here. First off, I I want I want to be on record saying to you that I do not believe that God causes suffering. I believe that we live in a creation where there are forces of good and there are forces of darkness and no one ever says to me at a child's funeral why did God do this or they always say why did God do this no one ever says why did the forces of darkness get to play a hand in this <laughs> you know and I'm always like because I, I lean more towards towards that the question is well God's the one though who could have defended God's the one who could have healed and all I can say and I do not think this is a strong enough answer but it's the best I've got is that we live in a time where we experience the, the, the rule of God at times where we experience what God's reality is like sometimes we experience it a lot and sometimes we don't experience it at all and we're stuck in this kind of in between time where sometimes we pray for people and they get better and sometimes we pray for people and they don't Sometimes we pray for healing for ourselves and it works out, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes, I, But we just live in this moment of time where we bounce back and forth between both. And there's coming a day when God is going to fully restore everything, where everything's going to be completely reclaimed, and there's going to be beauty and grace and mercy and kindness and gentleness and healing, and it'll be the, the order of the day. But until then, we live in this in-between time and that's, that's the part where I do think faith plays into it. I think, Kendra, your question could be an entire week. And I don't, uh, I think I might add it to our list of questions that we're going to do for entire weeks. Because I don't, I don't think it can be, even be done justice. I think we've got to do an entire teaching on just what is God's overall kingdom. And how does the, it, it's partly here now, but it's not completely here totally yet. But I do not believe that God causes suffering. 
And, and Phil does, by the way. <laughs> Phil does, by the way. Finally, in Romans 8.28, St. Paul writes that God is able to use all things to work together for the good of those who love him. Keep in mind that it does not say that God causes all things to happen so he can work them for good. It says that God figures out a way to take everything that's going on and to move it towards the final destination of what it is to be restored, to be redeemed, to be reclaimed. God's taking this whole story to completion, full restoration, full beauty, grace and mercy. God's moving it. And I think that story of Jesus going through it with us is the best thing that we can understand. I've heard many similar stories. Where was God in this? God was right there. Because he's never left us. It feels like it. I agree. But we worship a God who participates with us. Let me finish with this thought and then we'll share communion together. I have a few more pages of notes, but I think we're done right there. God goes through it with us. God goes through it with us. Lessons and comfort, if I might be so bold as to help you think through this. To the nurse who wrote the question, what do I tell a parent who says to me as their hospice nurse, if God is so good, why is he letting my child suffer like this? If I might suggest to you the answer, I don't know. I don't know. But I'll sit with you. I'll sit right here with you. In some way, shape, or form, I think God is good. I think God is here. I'll sit with you. I don't know why this is happening. I think Christians too often are looking to defend God. And so we say things that don't work. Well, because God needs another angel. God doesn't need any more angels. Please don't ever say that to anyone ever again. Or God has his reasons. There is no reason good enough in the entire world that would make God good enough to take your child or whoever. Just a great answer is I don't know. In the book of Job, Job was going to hell and back. And his friends showed up. And for the first seven days, his three friends came and they sat in a circle with him and did not say a word. It would have been a very short book, the book of Job, which is 42 chapters. It would have been a very short book if Job's friends would have just kept their mouths shut. But on the eighth day, they opened their mouths and the whole thing went to crap. The way they should have gone through it with Job is to sit with him and to say, Job, we don't know. We don't have an answer. I have no idea. But we'll sit with you, and we'll love on you, and we'll be here for you.